Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out. On episode 26, The King of the Jews. Last time on The Fan of History, Assyria fought against the League of Kings over the hegemony in Syria and southern Turkey. King Jehoram of Israel, of the house Omri, was king of Israel and saw the country through many dangers. So, Dan, from where we left off, what is going on now? Well, we're heading into 843 BC. And I mentioned last time that Assyria uh, stabilized the situation in Syria and now had to take care of the northern and eastern frontiers. And last time they attacked Urartu, and now they have to go east. So Shalmaneser III brings the Assyrian royal army into the foothills of the Sagros Mountains in Iran. And there he fought the Kassites in 851 and 850 BC. Do you remember the Kassites? Yes. They were the old ruling, the tribe that took over Babylon long, long ago, and they have now sort of detached themselves from Babylonian politics and built their own kingdom called Namri in the foothills of the Sagros Mountains, much to the chagrin of the Babylonian king. <laughs> so they have their own king, Marduk Mudamik, and uh, just his name tells you that they are pretty Babylonian at this point, because Marduk is the right. main god of the Babylonians. They excel in cavalry. Well, that's handy. Yeah, and that's uh, that's uh, a surprising thing for the Assyrians because cavalry is always their big edge. 
But Chalmanisar goes to secure his father's fortresses that uh, Ashurnasipal built in Samua, that's to the north of Namri. Okay. And then he moves into Alabria, Parsua, which is not Persia, that I thought for a while, Abdadani and Kaban. And uh, the Namri army doesn't really put up much of a fight. Uh, the, he claims victory. He captures several fortified cities. The king, Marduk Mudamik, he flees, but his palace and his harem is plundered. Oh no. And Shalmaneser claims to have captured horses without number. Meaning he didn't bother to count them. No, there were so many horses. Now, what are we going to do with all these horses? Well, Assyrians always know what to do with horses. Make <laughs> more cavalry. Yeah. Put people on those horses. And now Shalmaneser III does something that the Assyrians love to do. They find another Kassite who, is, who claims then, oh, I'll be a loyal king to you, Shalmaneser. Mm -hmm. So Shalmaneser installs Jansu as the That sounds Chinese. It does. Jansu uh, is the new Kassite king. Uh, there's also a kingdom we should mention very near to Namri called uh, the Manians, the kingdom of Mana. And uh, it's, uh, of course, also pledges its uh, loyalty to Shalmaneser. Uh, there's also a kingdom of Ilippi in the area. These are small kingdoms that influence the local policy in the east from the Assyrians. Hmm. And this kingdom of Ilippi is pretty strange because it has very close contact to the major power of Elam in southern Iran. And Elam will become a main actor on the stage in the 8th and 7th century BC. And Elam is this ancient kingdom, which is older than Babylonia and Assyria. And this sort of splinter kingdom of Ilippi exists for 200 years at about this time. They are cattle dealers and they control important trade routes through the Sagros. Uh, and they have not yet been in a fight with the Assyrians. Uh, now Shalmaneser has been away from the west and the problem areas of Syria for two years. So he decides to return in 842 BC and he climbs Mount Amanus, uh, which is a mountain in Syria, <laughs> uh, probably in the Lebanon, because he is claiming tribute from all the kings of the Kapti. Nobody wants to fight him and he right. cuts those cedar trees and that they are very... The most famous thing of Lebanon in ancient times are the cedar trees. Even the Egyptians went to Lebanon thousands of years years before this to get the cedar trees. Really? What's yeah. what's what's special about them? Just the fact that they have that there's... they are great for building things in wood, especially ships. Hmm. Okay. So it's and they they seem to exist mainly in Lebanon. So you have to go there to get these great trees. Uh, right. Today, I think most of them are gone, but I blame the Romans for that. Right. I could have sworn I saw a documentary where they had these, they had some of the cedars still there, and also this special kind of goat that <laughs> only exists in Lebanon. Well, the cedars are not extinct today, so some of them are still there, but these great uh, forests, uh, I think are much more at least than they were oh, in yeah. times. From, yeah, for, if it's if it's the same type, if it's the same trees I saw in the documentary, it, it was 
it looked essentially like a cedar garden rather than a forest. The last trees. We are preserving <laughs> them. Yeah. Uh, but from this mountain, Mount Amanus, Shalmanister III can look out over the Cilician Plain. Uh, that is southern Turkey. And there are some states there. For example, his enemies Q and Kilaku, they were part of the first alliance that opposed Shalmaneser before the League of Kings. And Q is still ruled by Kate, who was the very king that fought Shalmaneser III in the 850s. And these are lands that no Neo-Assyrian king have attacked. And Shalmaneser III swears that he will take his revenge against these very small kingdoms in <laughs> southern Turkey. And he will, but not now. He just climbs the mountain, looks at them, and shakes his fist at them. <laughs> very effective. Maybe he was reminded that they existed. <laughs> right. He's just, he's just so mad. I can't believe you're there. Yeah, you're no. still there. Kate, you old bastard. <laughs> So, let's move uh, to the other side of the world. Are we visiting China? Yay, yo China! This is, of course, the biggest kingdom in the world, and I'm sad that we have so little information. But we have information from 842 BC. Uh, remember the king is Li? Yes. And he's a pretty bad king. He's a tyrant. He's doing bad things. Yes. And there's a major peasant uprising. This might be the first major peasant revolt in China ever. And hmm. uh, King Li looks to his army to put it down, but the army joins the rebellion. <laughs> They're like, you suck. Yeah, so uh, now King Li has uh, nothing, and uh, the army and the peasants are attacking him. So he turns to the nobles, and they are like, uh, we, we are not doing this. Lee, <laughs> you're out. So, and yeah, uh, King Lee is captured else. and sent into exile to a place called Xi. But the rebels take King Lee's son and hide him because it's still unthinkable to get rid of the Zhou dynasty. That, that would be the natural thing now. They yeah. had a bad king, they should go. They don't have the mandate of heaven anymore. But the Zhou dynasty is now so... It has, it's been there for 200 years. So they just... They remove the bad king, but they take his son. And then they train him to be a good king. Well, I guess that's one way of dealing with the situation. It's pretty interesting, actually. And the, the, they preserve the line of King Mu. The great king of old... Okay. Uh, but they have to have some sort of government uh, while, they, uh, while the prince grows up to become a new good king. And uh, that's called the Gonghe Regency. They figure it out the next year. So <laughs> the Gonghe Regency will rule uh, China until Xuan, Li's son, is ready to become King Xuan. Xuan. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, of Yo uh, china Yeah, I'm not going to be able to help you there, man. And there is a count of Gong that uh, leads this regency. 
And this is a very significant year in ancient Chinese history. And Gonghi, like in the Gonghi Regency, actually means republic uh, today in Chinese. But this wasn't a republic. It's just a Regency Council. Uh, and uh, Li is still the king, even though he is captured. So his son cannot ascend to the throne before Li dies of natural causes. And that might be a mechanism just to <laughs> extend the regency. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, no, no, you gotta, you gotta wait. You yeah, know. Your, your dad is still alive, we promise. <laughs> <laughs> right. We swear. Can I see him? No. <laughs> no, he can have bad influence over you. You can't see him. <laughs> exactly. So, well, uh, let's go back to the Middle East. Um, we seem very Middle East-centric, but that's because all the great sources are from the Middle East. Uh, we are in Damascus, and Hadad Eser is the king, and in 842 BC, Hadad Eser dies. He was an extremely strong king of Aaron Damascus. He led the League of Kings against the Syrians, and we, his death is only related to us uh, from the Old Testament. It's in Kings 1915. Uh, and there's a story, of course, as always in the Old Testament. Right. So Adad Eser became sick, uh, ill of some kind. He is uh, not feeling well. And there is a court official called Hassel. And he he's looking, well, well we must do something. The king is uh, really poor health. And he seems to be impressed by the Israelite prophets. And that's weird because the king of Israel is not impressed with the prophets. <laughs> he doesn't like them. <laughs> so this court official, Hassel, he sends to the prophet Elisha in Israel. And the prophet tells him that Hadad Eser will recover but will die of other means. Dun, dun, dun. And Hassel takes this as a sign from Yahweh. And he goes back home, and he goes to the sick king, and suffocates him. <laughs> huh. And said like, ah, this is other means. And he actually didn't have time to recover then, did he? Nope. And, and somehow Hassel makes this stick, so uh, he becomes the king of Damascus. So I'm sure there is uh, plenty of more to this. Uh, plenty more to this story. I was about to say. Um, <laughs> two plus two is equaling five here. Yes. Oh, you suffocated a king. Well, maybe you want to be the king. Oh, hey, sounds great. <laughs> and we have a lot of archaeological proof for this uh, King Hassel. Uh, there are numerous artifacts from his reign mentioning him. And uh, Shalmanes the Third uh, actually describes him as the son of nobody. And that's a common term for usurper. Uh. You wouldn't think that Shalmanister III would like Hadad Eser. I think he would uh, welcome any usurper in Damascus, but he is actually saying the son of nobody about Hazael. Hmm. And that is the final death of the League of Kings. So now they lack their great unifying king, and they are all on their own against Assyrian power. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, remember what uh, Shalmaneser liked to do when uh, there is a change in kingship somewhere else? He loves to beat them up. 
Yes! So in 841 BC, Assyria attacks Damascus. And Hazael turns to the allies in the League of Kings and they are like, uh-oh, no, no, we were with Hadad Eser, not with you. Ancient alliances always between people and not states. Right. And Hamath, which was the second most powerful member of the League, they actually change side. Those traitors. Yeah, and they tell Shalmaneser, we are with you. We are paying tribute. <laughs> it's great. And Hamas will, will become a very loyal vassal to uh, Assyria from this point on. Because hmm. uh, they remember when Shalmaneser went through their countryside and they don't want to experience that again. Yeah. Forget that. Uh, you were saying? Oh, I just said, they were like, oh, for, forget that. We're going we're gonna to stick with you. And it's probably a wise choice, because there is no one close by that can even... Uh, that is even one-third as powerful as the Assyrians are right now. Right. And so Aram Damascus has to stand alone against this Assyrian invasion. And Hassel takes positions in the foothills of the Lebanon range. Shalmaneser just attacks straight up the hill, takes the fortress. Hassel has to flee back to the city of Damascus. The Assyrians besiege Damascus, but apparently Damascus has these impressive um, fortifications because they often fail to capture Damascus when they want to. Hmm. And these are the masters of siegecraft. The, the Assyrians are the best in the world at besieging cities at this time. So go Damascus because they managed to survive the assault. Wow. And Shalmaneser becomes really mad. He vandalizes the orchards around um, Damascus, which is a common Assyrian practice. <laughs> he also goes to Mount Horan, I think that's on the Israel, Israel border. And he ravages the cities he can find there. And he erects a stele on Mount Carmel. And then he sets up court there. And the, the Phoenician cities all go down there. Baal Eser, the king of Tyre and other important Phoenicians, they come to this place. And they pay tribute to Shalmaneser. They're like, you are so great and awesome. Here are some luxury goods. Please don't raise our cities to the ground. Right. And there is a great depiction of this event on the black obelisk of Shalmaneser III. I will dedicate a whole episode to the black obelisk in the 820s. But there is a picture of this event or a drawing of this event. And there is a king of Israel the first depiction of a king of Israel in history. Wow. And his name is Yehu. And yeah. he's the first Jewish king of Israel. It might be too early to speak about Jews, but he is uh, a follower of Yahweh. And last time we checked in with Israel, there was a king called Jehoram. So who is this guy? And he is there on the ground kissing the feet of Shalmaneser III. And that's the first depiction of, of a Jewish <laughs> king. Hmm. Uh, and I, Yehu is a very interesting person. I think this is very controversial, but as I've said before, I have found I, when I started doing history from 1000 BC, I couldn't find any reliable information about David and Solomon. Right. And this great kingdom of Israel that existed before it split into Israel and Judah. In fact, there is no evidence of Judah ever having existed at this time. So uh, I think Yehu might have been the inventor. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Because he claims to be of the house of David. Right. And there might have been a legend or something that he played up, but he is, he really hates the house of Omri. He hates the Phoenician gods. And he claims that he had the right to rule Israel because he was of the house of David. So it all sounds like Yehu propaganda to me. It's uh, campaign promises. Yes. Uh, and now we have to turn to the Old Testament again. In Kings 19, uh, 15 to 17, um, Yahweh commands the prophet Elijah to go and anoint Hazael of Damascus and Jehu of Israel as kings. And the author of Kings actually sees these two men as agents of Yahweh. Hmm. We already talked about the meeting between Hazael and the prophet Elisha. Right. So now we have to look into how this uh, Jehu became the king of Israel. Uh, right before the Assyrian attack, there was a war between Damascus and Israel again. Israel tries to take back Ramos Gilead. Jehoram is wounded and retreats to a place called Yestel. Jehoram is still the king then of the house of Omri. And Jehu is the general left in command of the forces that is supposed to take Ramoth Gilead from Damascus. And the prophet Elisha sends a young disciple to anoint Jehu as the king because Yahweh has commanded it. So Jehu is sitting there trying to take Ramoth Gilead and then this prophet disciple shows up and says, hey, you're the king. <laughs> the Lord tells, tells us that you are the king. And Jehu says, well, that's a great idea, actually. That's much better than trying to fight Damascus. Yeah, I love this idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Why did I think of that? <laughs> so he races at incredible speed back to Yesrael, or Yestel, where, this, uh, where the king is hiding, Jehoram. Remember, the king is wounded, retreated to Yestel. Right. And Jehu arrives, and Jehoram... Uh, Goes like, oh, why are you here? You were supposed to take Ramoth Gilead. And Jehu starts shooting at him. 
with his bow. So Yoram tries to run, but Yu shoots him <laughs> in the back. Wow. And the people around, they uh, rejoice. So Yoram mustn't have been very popular. Right. And uh, they are like, oh, now you are the king. That sounds awesome. But there is one more matter of business for Yehu before he can take over Israel. Because the king's mother, yep. Jezebel, remember her? Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. She's also there. And Yehu rides to meet her. And at this time, she symbolizes all the Phoenician influence and all that's uh, corrupt in Israel. And uh, Jezebel meets the usurper. She hears that he's coming and she puts on her makeup and finery and goes to an upper window and Yehu appears in the street below her. And this is normally uh, told like uh, Jezebel was a harlot in makeup and finery. Right. But you could also interpret it like she's a proud woman and she knows she's about to die. She, she wants to go out in style right she's gonna she's gonna meet her killer looking her best because why not and she does so bravely and exactly. Yehu screams insults to her and then he commands her eunuchs to throw her to the ground from this upper window and they do so and wow. uh, so Jezebel falls to her death okay but Yehu isn't done with this <laughs> so he sprinkles her blood on the walls and on his horses Ugh. and then he runs her over repeatedly with his chariot what the hell <laughs> yeah what the hell <laughs> and i don't know if you have this expression in english but in in sweden uh, yehu is actually a, a noun for something that's done extremely hastily oh no or speedily if you run like a Yehu, you are running very fast. Huh. No, I haven't heard that one. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I, I was so surprised that this guy was named Yehu. And then I, wow, wow, it's from this guy. Wow. <laughs> he acts very quickly. Right. Huh. That's interesting that a saying is like that closely related. Usually yeah. it's like a derivative word, but that's that's right there <laughs> and he has to act quickly now because he has to go to the capital and uh, assume the kingship so he immediately travels to samaria the capital of israel yeah. nobody supporting the house of omri and before he arrives before he even arrives in samaria uh, people in samaria gather all the male descendants of omri and behead them oh my god <laughs> And hand their heads to you when he arrives. Oh, yeah, here you go. Took care of that for you. A little problem. And then he goes, oh, oh no, no, we, we have to have peace. So let's have a meeting in the great temple of Baal in Samaria. All the prophets of Baal, all the priests of the Phoenician gods, all the Phoenicians in Samaria. I have no ill will towards you. Let's have a meeting. We'll talk it all over. Uh -huh. These beheadings are unfortunate, but uh, I didn't command that. So everybody has to go to the great temple of Baal. This sounds like a setup. Yeah, and they do. Of course they do. So once everybody is in the great temple of Baal, the 
army goes in and kills everybody. <laughs> and then Jehu burns down the great temple of Baal and makes the site into a latrine. So people can piss and shit on the Phoenicians <laughs> for all time to come. This guy sounds like a real peach. <laughs> yeah, we see this very clearly in the archaeological record, not, not the latrine, but... Uh, the Phoenician influence in Israel is wiped out in this uh, very year. So we have all these great Phoenician artifacts in Israel before this year, and then we have very little after this. Right. And of course, uh, Baal Eser II of Tyre is not very happy. But then the Assyrian attacks on Damascus happen, and Jehu has to go to Shalmaneser III's court. And there he actually meets Baal Eser II of Tyre. <laughs> Because he's also going to Shalmaneser to pay tribute. <laughs> right. So you can just imagine this meeting. They're lined up there, queued to pay tribute to Shalmaneser. <laughs> it's, it's like, and Baliezer oh. goes, hey, what happened to my sister? It's like, ah, yeah, about that. Um, Do you see that, that blood on my horse? That's your sister. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah. but they couldn't do anything because there were Assyrians everywhere. So, uh, everyone pays tribute to Shalmaneser III. Shalmaneser III goes back home to Assyria. And when Baal Eser II gets back to Tyre, he dies, maybe of uh, sorrow. Yeah. Or maybe of old age. Because his eldest son is only 23, so he couldn't have been that old. And he has the great name Matan I. This means carpet in Swedish. So it's kind of funny to me. <laughs> Matan. Matan the first. That's he funny. also appears in Virgil's Aeneid, uh, uh, the great work of Virgil, really? ordered by Augustus to like give the Romans a legacy, a, a credible backstory. <laughs> <laughs> Matan shows up. He's Bialus the second in the Aeneid. And why does he show up? He shows up because he's the father of Pygmalion and Dido. Oh, wow. Okay. And they are the brothers and sisters who will, uh, yeah, have a little incident in Tyre very soon. And this will all lead to the founding of the city of Carthage. Now, that's going to be a major player. Yes. But not for long. So we'll have the founding of Carthage and then we'll have no news from Carthage for 150 years. Oh my. Let's go to Egypt. Back to Egypt. Egypt had uh, unity. And we have to take that away. <laughs> oh, that didn't last lost. long. <laughs> it never does. This is the third intermediary period. It's a time of um, yeah, when Egypt isn't great. And this is... Uh, Partly the reason why. Nimlot C was the high priest of a moon in Thebes. Mm -hmm. He dies. Uh, and he, someone named Takelot II takes power in Thebes. He seems to be the grandson of Osokon II. But this is very hard to understand. <laughs> and the son of the dead high priest Nimlot C. And he might be a character called Takelot F. So if there is a letter, it's a non-pharaoh. So Takelot II and Takelot F might be the same guy. Because there's a high priest of a moon called Takelot F at about this time. Okay. 
but uh, it's unclear what happens to the relationship with the north. Also, the second still rules Egypt as the pharaoh from the north, but it seems that Thebes become independent this time, and Egypt is once again split into two parts. And this might be the beginning of the 23rd dynasty, or not. <laughs> but we will have simultaneous dynasties uh, ruling Egypt. That's not confusing. For a while now. Until the 25th dynasty will stabilize the situation somewhat, and then the Assyrians will come and beat everybody up. <laughs> Those Assyrians. I think we maybe have to mention at least uh, a little place called Europe. Oh, that little tiny suburb? Yeah, it's really unimportant at this time. Because not much is going on in Europe. I'm sure great things are going on, but there is no civilizations. Or there, there is some, some, some sort of seedlings of civilized states. Uh, those are the Villanovans in Italy. They will later become the Etruscans. Okay. And Greece is still in the Dark Age, except for the island of Euboea, to the east of mainland Greece, where the city of Chalcis and old Eritrea or Lefkandi are strong. They travel the sea. Uh, they interact with the Phoenicians. There seems to be some other early city-states that are now becoming a city-state is a large term for the 9th century BC. There are some towns that start to become more powerful. Right. Knossos on Crete. <coughs> Athens is slowly recovering from the Dark Age. You know, Athens was the maybe the only place in Greece that didn't was that wasn't totally annihilated by the Dorian invasion. Uh, the city of Miletus in southern Turkey and Argos is also coming onto the scene. The 840s is also the earliest foundation date of Sparta. 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 It's probably too early and we will do a three-part special on Sparta before we end this century. And this is the most popular videos on YouTube now. The three Spartan videos. The Spartan videos? Okay. Yeah. So especially the women in Sparta. We'll yeah. do the legends of Sparta, life in Sparta, and women of Sparta. Sounds good. And uh, there is a lot of uh, a lot of feminists like the the women in Sparta video, because <laughs> it was tough to be a woman in uh, the ninth century BC. But oh, if you had to be imagine. a woman, you should be one in Sparta. Interesting. I can't wait. Sounds, uh, Phoenician influence so cool. is felt in Europe, at least around the Mediterranean. And these, the Phoenician colonization dates are extremely hard. We already founded Phoenician colonies in Spain. But uh, the records are gone. Uh, but the Phoenicians are out there trading all over the Mediterranean. There is one final actor in Europe now that shows up on the scene. Very, very early to speak of them, but we have to mention them. Who are they? The Germans! Germans? Already? Yes. yes. Uh, the Germans are the uh, Nordic uh, uh, or North European people. Uh, it's still the Bronze Age in the North. But at this time, you can separate the Scandinavian Germans from the sort of German Germans. <laughs> 
there is no historical record, of course. This is all archaeology. But at this time, Celtic culture is giving away in the north of Europe to this German culture. And we will notice that these Germans, they don't give up territory easily. <laughs> so once something becomes German, it will stay German. <laughs> but it's still, uh, what is it, 740 years until, 730 years until German influence will be felt around the Mediterranean. Wow. And I hope we'll be around to tell that story because it's a great story. Cool. Well, I do too. So, that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. What is going to happen in our next episode, Dan? Well, remember I talked about Shalmanister III goes to war 34 times. He will be around for all the 830s and he will try to go to war every year. Wow. Is his religious duty. Exactly. And now he has seen uh, the Cilician Plain. He shook his on fist. Mountain. And that's where he will go. But if anybody gives him problems on any of the Assyrian borders, he will go there too. <laughs> so they better pay their tribute and keep their heads bowed down low. Or Shalmaneser will come for them. Mm-mm-mm. He has already been around for, what is it, 18 years? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. And he has, he's about halfway through, so he will, he will, he will do more things. It's amazing. All right. Well, looking forward to that. Everybody out there, please go to our YouTube site, youtube.com slash fan of history. Like and subscribe. It really does help us. Give us a review on iTunes. This goes up on iTunes every two weeks. Um, any kind of review. We'd like to hear any, any kind of feedback. You can also go to facebook.com slash fan of history. Follow at the fan of history on Twitter. <clears throat> the website is the fan of history dot wordpress dot com. I have to say a word oh. about the website actually. Sure. Mm-hmm. Was there is a guy called Shane Soresby. He's doing. Uh, he's writing a series about even earlier times. We call that timeline of world history, and it goes up on YouTube as well with me reading it. So he's, uh, he is giving us world history from 200,000 BC to the modern day. That is a long span of time. Yes, and it will be interesting when it overlaps this period. Uh, but right now, the second episode is up on YouTube and it goes down to 10,000 BC. That is still an exceptionally long time ago. It is. We are uh, part three will be about uh, the invention of agriculture. Okay, sounds good. Well, folks, for this week, I am Brennan. I'm Dan, and this has been the Fan of History. Thank you for watching. Please like and subscribe. It really helps us out. You can find us on Twitter at MagicGathStrat, Facebook slash Magic Gathering Strat, or on the web, magicgatheringstrat.com. There you can find articles and free prize-supported leagues. This is all brought to you by our Patreons and cardhoarder.com. If you enjoy this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash magicgatheringstrat. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.